Easter stories. And it begins with two disciples. They're walking along together. They're talking. They're discussing together. Uh, and they're full of questions. And if you think about what's going on in their lives, uh, it would be easy to wonder what, you know, what's going on in their hearts. Think about it. Uh, a close friend has just been killed. And so as they're walking, they're grieving. They're, they're wondering what's going on, what's happening. They, they've lost their hope in some ways. They're full of questions. And I wonder, as I think about them walking that road, I think to myself, have I been on this road? Because there have been times in my life, or maybe am I living a time right now where there seems to be more questions than answers, or I, I have trouble keeping a sense of hope. And I look at the world around me and I see violence, or I, I think of things in my own life, and I, I struggle with what's going on in my own life sometimes, and I wonder, am I, am I on the road to Emmaus too? And maybe you have been on the road to Emmaus yourself. It could be any news, really. Any event that kind of takes uh, the ground out from under you. There's the big ones, of course, right? There's the there's the, the bad news, the, the prognosis. You know, the cancers come back. There's those moments. There's uh, there's others, though, too. There's the accidents. There's the, the abuse. There's that relationship that's never been mended that just hangs kind of on your soul. There's that family member that you never really got to, told, to tell what you wish you could. All these sorts of things that kind of pile on our souls. There's the big ones, of course, but there's the little ones, too. And I wonder if we're honest, are we also on the road to a man, or have we been? The chances are you will be at some point in your life, if you're, if you're not today. But maybe you're there this morning. The disciples have just seen the death of their friend, but it's more than their friend, isn't it? Because he was the one in whom they began to place their hope. See, they had this longing, first century Jews, they had this longing that God is going to come and bring his peace and his justice to the world. It's this longing deep in their hearts. They're longing for a world that's better than the one that they see around them. How often have you felt that way, right? You look around and you think, man, this could be so much better. Don't know quite how, but things are not right here. These are not good. And that's what they mean in verse 21. Jesus has come alongside them at this point. They don't recognize it. Isn't that interesting? That in the time where they're in a place of grief, working through the questions in their life, Jesus is present with them, though they don't quite know it's him yet. And I think there's a hope there for us that Jesus is present in your grief and your questions with his peace and with his comfort. You just may not recognize him yet. But let me read to you a little bit from 17 and onward, because it, it captures this whole feeling that the disciples have for us. Jesus comes up to them in verse 17 and says, What's this conversation you're holding with each other as you go? They're, they're really having an intense conversation. Have you ever seen this? People are walking by. They're just kind of going at it. You, you know, sometimes it's like, whoa, okay, just leave them. And sometimes you kind of want to join in. Like, what's this all about? You know, Jesus joins in. They stood still looking sad. Isn't that great? They stood still looking sad. So you don't get a lot of these sorts of details in the Bible because your space to write is limited. And so what details are there so important to pick up on? They're sad. 
One of them named this cancer center. <laughs> this is my humorous. Are you the only one in the whole city that hasn't heard of it happened this weekend? <laughs> Jesus goes, what? What happened? And they say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was what? Prophet, mighty in word and deed. Before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, and then this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, their problem is that they've been living on a story. They have an idea, some sense of where the, the story of themselves as a people, as a nation, is headed. And it's a story that's that's been birthed back in the Exodus, where God delivered them out of Egypt. It's a story that's been reaffirmed all through the prophets and through the Psalms, that God is for them, and God's heart is to come and dwell with them, and for his presence and his peace and his love and his justice to flood the world. That's the hope that they have. They're waiting for God to step in, and in this case, to, to remove Rome, who's over top of them. To come in and set things to right. They believed God wouldn't abandon them. They knew somehow he would come. See, centuries before, Israel had been in exile in Babylon. And it was the result of their own not listening to God, their own sense of injustice and sinfulness and oppression, the way they'd been treating each other, their violence, and all of this. And God said, finally, I'm going to remove you from the land so that you will recognize who you've become, come back to me. And now they've come back from Babylon. They've been back for a while, geographically. But the promises of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel just hadn't come to pass. And so there's this sense for a lot of them that Israel is still in exile. As much as they're back in the land, the great hopes have not come to pass. Something's still not right. We need God to move. And then Jesus had arrived, right? Mighty in word and deed. And they had this feeling that maybe Jesus was the one who was going to bring the story to completion. Maybe he's the one in whom all of our hopes and in whom we hope God is going to come and set things right. Maybe it's in him. And that's what's going on in their hearts when they say we hoped. We thought maybe he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Maybe he'd be the one to bring our exile to an end. So that's their questioning as they're walking. They're thinking, how do we get this so wrong? What, what do we do now? We thought it was him. And then to add even more confusion, they've got these rumors that someone's gone and robbed a grave, left the clothes all over. Some of the women have seen an angel. This is not helpful to them in their grief. This just adds confusion to the issue. What is going on? on top of everything else. And folks, it's into this place, into the human heart that longs for a world restored, that longs for the love of God, even if they can't quite articulate it, that longs for him to come and bring peace, to bring rest, to bring his truth and his grace, both for Israel, as well as for your heart and mind this morning. It's into this place that Jesus speaks. He comes alongside them on the road, and he, he starts walking with them in their pain and in their grief, 
And then he starts to speak into it. See, these disciples, they're still in Good Friday, right? They're still in Good Friday. And now Jesus comes to roll away the stone from their own fear and their own sorrow. He's going to make this warning in that as they go. And so he says this great line to them. And you could read it this way, verses 25-27. He says, don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer? and only then enter into his glory. And starting at the beginning of the books of Moses and the prophets, he starts going through the Bible, telling them this was part of God's plan all along. The one who is going to come and bring all the hopes to completion, fulfill all the great promises and dreams, was the one who was going to suffer for the sake of all humanity. So Jesus starts to tell them a different story. This isn't just the story of someone coming and leading a military revolt to get Rome out of the way. It's not just the story of someone saying, if you just live better and do a little bit better, and you, you act a little more holy, God will let you more. It's not that story. He, he tells a new story. And the story is this. God actually really, really loves you. He loves you so much that the sin that separates you from him, he will take that. Let it kill him so that the punishment can be paid and you can enter back into a relationship with him again. It's a new story. It's the story that God actually had heard their prayers. It's the story that the exile out of sin and death actually is over. And it's the story of God coming and dying for your place and in mind, for our sin, and for our death, to give us new life. That's the new story. And that's what Easter is all about, folks, isn't it? So he tells them this new story, and then, and then the story kind of takes a turn, right? Look at verses 20 and 29. He's been teaching them, telling them, this was God's plan all along. The Son would come to suffer for your sin, so that you might live. He's telling them that story. He's getting it in their hearts. And then they get near to the village. They get near to a mass. He acts as though he's going to carry on. I think this is really funny. You know, he's meeting with them. They're talking. And then he's, he's just going to keep going. And they go, no, 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 no. Wait, it's late. Why don't you come in? We'll have supper. So he goes in to stay with them. And then this happens. Jesus enters as a guest. And then what happens in the very next moment in verse 3? Well, suddenly he's the host. And rather than serving him, Jesus starts to serve the disciples. And he takes bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it and gives it to them. And their eyes are opened, and they recognize him. Jesus is recognized in the breaking of bread. Now, the last time Jesus had broke bread was the Last Supper, right? Where he said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Saying to them, reminding them that it's through my death, through my sacrifice on the cross, that you will have life. That as you repent, as you put your faith in me, as you follow me, you will be reconciled to God. And if you look further on, past this point in Acts 2, you discover the early church, when they got together, which they did often, they did four things. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer. And the fourth one is the breaking of the bread. Why does breaking bread get right up next to apostles' teaching, fellowship, and prayer? It's because the early church, the early Christians knew that Jesus revealed himself in the opening of Scripture, the breaking of bread. And it's those two, the word and the table, the story, the sacraments, become the daily spirit-infused marks of the early church. It's in this place, word and table, that Jesus opens our eyes to see. Now look at verse 32. Having recognized the Lord, what did the disciples say? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Luke's telling us something really important, folks. The heart is warmed when someone faithfully seeks to expound the scripture, to reveal the person of Jesus, and when the Lord is met by breaking the bread. It's the word and communion together because they point us together to the resurrected Lord. And friends, that's what that's why worship services, Christian worship, looks the way it does. It has an amazing shape to it. See, every week we're on that road. Every week we need Jesus to come alongside us and gather us together again. And every week as we're gathered, we need to hear the story of what God is doing in our lives and in his world and the way in which he calls us to participate in it. And very often, if not weekly, we need to break the bread and recognize him to have our eyes opened again to who he is and what he's done for us. But that's not all. What happens to the Emmaus disciples? They're excited, aren't they? Something of the sadness, something of the fear, something of the worry, the confusion, something about that has fallen away. Their hearts are warm. There's a sense of life returned to them. They met the Lord. Good Friday has ended. And Easter has dawned. And where moments before they were saying, what? Well, the day's far spent. The day's kind of over. Let's be done. Now what do they say? Look at verse 33. They rose that same hour. Now the time of day doesn't matter. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem back the way they came. They found the eleven and those who were gathered with them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, has appeared to Simon. And they told him what had happened on the road how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Having met Jesus in the Word and met him at the table, the disciples are launched out into mission. They're sent. And friends, in the same way, Jesus sends us every week as homemakers, as tradespeople, as nurses, as teachers, as doctors, whatever you are, gardener, retired grandparent, student, child, whatever, Jesus sends you every week back into the neighborhood to bring the good news in a way that's relational and winsome and faithful, full of life, because we met him in word and that table. That's what God wants to do. Something else that's interesting in this passage. 
Think back to Genesis. Genesis 3. I've already done. Genesis 3, 7. Adam and Eve, this is the story in the garden, right? Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. They always call it an apple. I don't know why we call it an apple. Fruit. Um, they eat the forbidden fruit. It's this picture of, of seeking life in communion apart from God. So before that, they're eating with God. They're eating in His presence. He's walking with them. But here... This choice represents the decision we make as humans to try to find good and evil on our own apart from God. That's what that's about. So they eat the forbidden fruit, and we read Genesis 3 7. It says, They ate, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized the terror of a world separated from God. But what do we find here in Luke, right? We meet another couple on the road. The tradition often has this as a married couple. It's not necessarily true. But we need another pair and another meal. And again, their eyes are opened. But this time, not to a world separated from God, but a world that can be restored by Jesus himself. And so in Genesis, where, where the eyes of humanity are opened to sin and to hatred and to violence and this act of rebellion, of pain separated from God, now in Luke, our eyes have been opened again to the resurrection of the Son of God and the life and love of Jesus Christ flowing into the world. And so Luke is telling us, in the way he's shaped the story, he's telling you the curse of Eden has ended. It's finished. Where once our eyes were opened to a world without God, now in word and table, with the presence of the resurrected Lord himself before him, our eyes are reopened to see the world for what it's meant to be in Christ. Isn't that neat? So Luke purposely bookends. He makes you think back to Genesis and says, God's reversing the curse of Eden. And that means he's reversed the exile out of Eden and brought us back home again. We've been talking about both the meals in Luke's Gospel over the last kind of month or so. And if, if you count them, you discover the Last Supper is the seventh meal. It's like it's the last meal of the first week of an old creation. And now with Easter morning, this is now the eighth meal. It's the first meal of God's new world. It's the first meal of the end of our exile. And that invitation then is open for all of us friends this Easter morning. It's that our eyes will be opened to see a Lord who loves you, who comes alongside you while you are on that road to Emmaus, who reveals himself in his word and at his table. He's the one who loves you, who's died for you, and he calls you to himself. So friends, I really have kind of one question for us this morning. And it's, it's this. Are you living in a Good Friday? Or are you living in Easter Sunday? Are you still somewhere on the road to Emmaus? Or have you, have you come in and met them? Have your eyes been opened as he filled you with his life and sent you out again? Where are you in that? Do you hear him speak as he does in verse 36? We stopped just short of this. But as, as they met, as the Emmaus disciples come back, what happens? As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace. Do you need to hear Jesus say peace to you this morning? I do. But I'm honest. 
Friends, he's come to roll away the stone of Good Friday for these amazed disciples. And he wants to roll away the stone of their life as well. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, Jesus is calling out to you, friends. He wants, uh, he wants to move into your heart, into your life. And uh, we respond to that in a very simple way, which is to recognize we need him. To say, Lord, the ways I've tried to live my life have not worked well. We can repent of this, I need to turn around. We believe that he did indeed die for us. And he rose again for 